the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. For those of you who haven't listened to the show before, the show's divided in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And if any of you have any questions about estate planning and elder law at the end of August, we're going to be do, doing some seminars in Brooklyn. On Tuesday, August 21st, we're going to be in Bay Ridge, our hometown, Vesuvio's Restaurant. Hooray! 11 o'clock, 3 p.m., 7 p.m., Vesuvio's 7305 Third Avenue. Wednesday, August 22nd, we're going to be in Sheepshead Bay at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S. Again, 11 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 7 p.m., Buckley's Avenue S, Nostrand Avenue, Brooklyn. On Thursday, August 23rd, we're going to be in a place we've never been before as far as our seminars, the Grand Prospect Hall at 263 Prospect Avenue. The first seminar that day is going to be at 3 p.m. The second seminar is going to be at 7 p.m. So if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, come down. We'll talk it over. At the end of the seminar, you can ask your questions. You can ask your questions either from the floor. If you'd rather break off, we can break off and ask answer your question semi-private. If you want to schedule an appointment, you're more than welcome. If you want to schedule an appointment today, you're more than welcome. Give us a call at uh, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Today, we're going to have two guests on. First is going to be Joe Pierce, and Joe Pierce is a remarkable individual. He was put in jail for hate speech in, in England, you know, 20-some-odd years ago. He was a neo-Nazi, uh, fascist, anti-Catholic. You know, he, he had a conversion on the second time that he was put in prison for hate speech. In jail, he found a set of rosary beads, and that started his conversion. He read G.K. Chesterton, and today he's writing books on Catholic literary subjects. His two books that we're going to be talking about today outside of his first book, or I shouldn't say his first book, but his book that we talked about previously, Race with the Devil, His Life as a Neo-Nazi. And then he has a book about Tom Monahan, great man who we'll talk about a little bit later. And then he's next to his last book right now is about Narnia and a criticism of Narnia, criticism in, in the point of being content and so forth. Then after that, we have Bobby Valentine, former manager of the New York Mets, Texas Rangers, Boston Red Sox, and a couple of Japanese teams. So we got a busy schedule today. Now, first again, we'll start on the questions. Beth, do you have a question you can read us? 
I, I have a good one. Hello, Mr. Connors. Thank you for offering to answer questions and sharing your knowledge. It's very generous and much appreciated by myself and I'm sure many others. My question is concerning a family trust. For many years, I paid into a family trust named after my husband. I paid into this trust from a bank account in my name only until my husband blindsided me and drained my bank accounts, stole my identity, um, and in quotes, fraudulent loans, credit cards in my name, etc. Um, kidnapped our young daughter from a play date and took possession of the home I was living in that we co-owned in an ex parte hearing with a family court judge and had me evicted. My question is, what are my rights with regards to this trust? I do not know if he drained it. I have been so overwhelmed from the attack. But now I'm at a point where I'm able to look into his, this account, but unfortunately I know nothing of trust except I did the initial paperwork, set up a bank account in my name only, then paid a lot of money into that account to a family trust in my husband's name. I am embarrassingly ignorant on these manners, but I'm trying to learn. Thank you for your time and any knowledge. Sincerely, Nicole. Well, the first question is, who's the trustee under the trust? Who has the power to write checks under the trust? Who has the power to make withdrawals under the trust? That's the first question we need to address. Secondly, with all these circumstances, I am sure part of the distribution and everything should be up to a divorce lawyer and the divorce court because, after all, anything that's accumulated during the marriage is subject to a divorce distribution. So that's probably the first avenue to, to try to get what we might call equitable distribution on this. But again, who's the trustee? Who, who the, You know, a trust is not an, a, 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 an entity by itself. A trustee has a person in charge. That's called the trustee. So when you paid money over to a trust, that means you paid money over to a person who was in charge of the trust. You know, from the question, we really don't know who that person is. But in any event, you need you need legal help. There's no question about that. But I might start with a divorce attorney instead of an estate planning attorney. Because, again, if, if your husband drained your assets, if you have title to your home and you're not getting anything out of it, I need I would say you need to speak to a divorce attorney. And if you want a recommendation, you can give us a call at Connors & Sullivan, and we'll try to refer to you someone. Again, we don't do divorce. Our phone number, again, is 718-238-6500. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough answers a question by email, and he plays it for his listeners. And we replay it again each Saturday. So here's Kevin McCullough's question of the week. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week, I promise you, you're going to get a question answered by Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan Law Firm. They're the specialists in estate care, uh, estate law and elder care. And uh, Mike Connors rejoins us. Here's this week's question, Mike. If my mother were to place her multifamily house into a trust, can she do a 1031 exchange to save on taxes? Mike, what's she talking about? Well, the first thing, the answer is yes. What's a 1031 exchange? That's happening an awful lot right now in the New York City area. Because let's say for the sake of argument, you bought an investment property, you bought it for $100,000 30 years ago, it's worth $3 million, $4 million now. You sell it, you're going to get killed with capital gains taxes. But one of the things you can do, you can do a 1031 exchange. That means you, you sell this property and you buy another one to replace it. And, you know, what, what some people do in New York here, they sell their, you know, property here in New York. And then let's say they buy a property in Virginia, which is rented to a chain like CVS or something like that, and they get rent checks for the rest of their life, and they do not have to pay a capital gains tax on the sale of the property here in New York. 
Very interesting. Well, the 1031 exchange is just one of the things that Connors and Sullivan can help you understand. And if you've got questions about your own situation, you need to call them, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Of course, they'll take your questions by email as well, MikeConnors at gmail.com, MikeConnors at gmail.com. And be listening Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and Saturday evenings at 6 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Remember to listen to Kevin McCullough each Monday through Friday on 970 The Answer at 5 o'clock. On Wednesdays, we have John Katsimatidis with Kevin, but Kevin McCullough's on each Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. Getting back to estate planning, Chris Cardano, our engineer, brought us a, you know, an article about trust mills. I'm not sure exactly what a trust mill is, but one of the things it talks about is sometimes people sell what we call books, one size that fits all. And obviously, I'm, I'm not a fan of those books. And to be honest, if you read them, I can show you three or four contradictions in the terms of those books. Somebody's got to put it together. And a lot of times, if, if, if an attorney's trying to sell you a book and to get your life fitting into the book, it's not for you. There's no one size that fits all. You know, like even for the sake of argument, you have three kids and they all get along. Some of the different what ifs, if something happens to one child, you may not want a set plan. You may want to vary something. You know, let's say you have three children. One doesn't have kids. He's got a, uh, let's say he's married. He has a wife. His wife is very good to you. Maybe if something happens to your son, maybe you want to leave it to your daughter-in-law. Maybe on the other hand, you don't, you can't stand your daughter-in-law. You want to skip her and go to the grandchildren. Or maybe they, there's no grandchildren. You want to leave it to somebody else. But whatever, you should have a plan that's talked over and going back and forth on. You should not have a book where you have to be a cookie cutter and fit into the book's rules. And a lot of times with those books, uh, again, the language is so unclear and contradictory that I can read them and not make sense out of them. And it's not because the, the language is so bizarre, which in some cases it is. It's that the, the language is contradictory and somebody's got to put it together. And a lot of times the people who sell those books really don't understand what's inside them. So you get chaos. And, you know, uh, another one pet peeve of, of mine, and maybe I shouldn't say it, but sometimes now people are printing wills off the Internet. They're getting any two witnesses to sign their wills. And there's a problem in court because a will is not just a writing where you fill out the forms properly. A will is a writing that's witnessed witnessed by two people who were willing to testify in court that they witnessed a will in accordance with the laws of the state of New York. It's not just fill out the form and that's it. Society is more litigious today. And a lot of times that gives, you know, that son or daughter or that nephew or niece who's not in the will an opportunity to contest the will saying the will's not properly signed. You don't have an attorney in charge. The two witnesses to the will don't really care. They get dragged into court. They get subpoenaed. They don't want to get involved in it. And you got a problem. So a will is a serious, it's serious business. Do it right. See an attorney. If you're going to draft up a will, make sure it's done right. I mean, there's no guarantees that anything's going to happen perfectly, but at least give it a good shot. Go see somebody who knows what they're doing. And again, if you want to see us at Connors and Sullivan, you're more than welcome at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, August 21st at Vesuvio Restaurant, 7305 Third Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., then in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Wednesday, August 22nd at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S. 
at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. And finally, at the Grand Prospect Hall, 263 Prospect Avenue, Park Slope, Brooklyn, on Thursday, August 23rd at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors & Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now with me is author Joe Pierce, and some of you remember Joe Pierce from last year because he had an autobiographical book out, Race with the Devil. How you doing today, Joe? I'm doing very well, thanks, Mike. For those of who were listening about a year ago, what's Race with the Devil about? Well, Race with the Devil is my own journey from uh, white supremacist, neo-Nazi, anti-Catholic convictions to uh, finally an embrace of Catholicism and my reception into the Catholic Church. You know, a lot of pe- people here in the States have no concept of an anti-Catholic, neo-Nazi stance. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, thank- thankfully, the, the the type, shall we say, is r- relatively rare, even on the other side of the pond. But basically, I grew up really learning anti-Catholicism at my father's knee, so I was very anti-Catholic. And I also learned racism at my father's knee. I talk about my relationship with my father at some length in Race with the Devil. He also, thanks be to God, ended up being received into the church and the great healing that's a consequence of that. But certainly, you know, I was a racist. I was a sympathizer with neo-Nazi ideas and was involved with the anti-Catholic. Catholic terrorist organizations in Northern Ireland during the times of the Troubles there. So I was in a very bad place. And by the grace of God and by my engagement with faith and reason, I was delivered from that lifestyle into the arms of Holy Mother Church. You faced imprisonment or you were in prison during this time period? I went to prison twice. Yeah, I spent my 21st and 25th birthdays in prison. And what were you convicted of? My crime was publishing material likely to incite racial hatred. It's a hate crime under Britain's Race Relations Act, and that was from my editing of a magazine called Bulldog. So in other words, you were in prison for writing. Yeah, I have uh, very mixed feelings about that. Obviously, I completely uh, disapprove and disagree with what I was saying in those days, but whether or not I should have had the right to say it is, of course, a question of political philosophy and a question of human and political rights. And uh, the, the danger, of course, of starting to enact hate, so-called hate laws, as they can and indeed are being used to silence debate and, and free speech. And so, for instance, in England now and countries in Europe, it's illegal, for instance, to question the homosexual agenda and even to teach and preach 
what scripture has always said about sexual sin uh, is now actually considered a hate crime and is punishable by law. So yes, I think that, if you like, that the hate crime of publishing material likely to incite racial hatred was, was, if you like, setting in motion certain dangerous tendencies which actually stifle free discussion, the sort of free debate and discussion that's necessary in any healthy democratic society. So yeah, I, have, I think that the law is a bad law, but I also think that what I was doing was a bad thing. Whether I should have been able to go to prison for it is, of course, another matter. Now, what led to your conversion? Well, I, I wasn't interested. I mean, I hated Catholicism and wasn't interested in Christianity, but clearly I was interested in politics. And someone suggested I, I check out the political and economic ideas of G.K. Chesterton and his friend Hilaire Belloc. So I started buying the political and economic books by Chesterton and Belloc, but that sort of got me hooked, if you like, on those two writers. Um, and I started just buying everything I could buy them. And of course, I began to realize eventually that the political ideas of Chester and Belloc were a derivative of, of the social teaching of the Catholic Church. In other words, that the ideas I liked in politics were actually Catholic ideas. And that wasn't enough in itself, of course, to bring me to the uh, arms of, uh, of Mother Church. But uh, it did at least open my mind and my heart to wanting to know more about Catholicism, and, and, and that allowed me to read things that I would not have been been willing to read earlier. And so the, the journey began, if you like, from there. We know. What, what happened to you after that? You, you obviously became a writer. It seems like you're writing a book every six months. <laughs> I try. It's difficult these days. I'm writing articles every day for, for online journals. So I'm, I, I seem to find myself being sucked into the life of a journalist rather than that of an author, though I'm trying to do both. Um, so, I, well, basically, you know, I, I've always been a writer. As I said, the two prison sentences were uh, a consequence of my uh, editing a magazine and, and uh, a material I wrote uh, in support of my bad ideas in the past. So I've really been a writer since as long as I can remember. So after my conversion, the, the, I just uh, started to use those gifts that God had given me uh, for, for, for good things and, and not for the evil things that had animated me earlier. So what's your latest book? Well, my latest book is actually called Further, uh, it's called Further Up and Further In, Understanding Narnia. So it's a look at the deeper theological and philosophical uh, meaning uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Now, I think a lot of people would ask this, hey, wait a minute, isn't Narnia really just fairy tales and stuff like that? There's a deeper meaning? Yeah, exactly. I mean, basically, you know, that the, the, the C.S. Lewis and his good friend J.R.R. Tolkien, both of whom were uh, practicing Christians, of course, Tolkien was a Catholic and Lewis an Anglican, they both believed that you could tell great truths through the telling of stories. And in this, of course, uh, they're only following uh, the the, uh, the leader of Jesus Christ himself, because uh, many of our Lord's most uh, valuable and important lessons were taught through, through the telling of parables, through the telling of stories. So in other words, that it's through narrative that we can actually come to understand some of the deepest truths about life. And that's true of the Chronicles of Narnia, as it's true of the parables of Jesus. What what can the reader learn out of this? What can they learn or appreciate Narnia that they didn't know before? Well, basically, what you'll get by reading the Chronicles of Narnia, first of all, you'll realize that they're not just children's stories, um, because there's a great depth of political philosophy, 
metaphysical philosophy and 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 good Christian theology in there and an engagement with with, his, with history. So what you actually find if you read it on that deeper level, which I'm 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 uh, elucidating in in my book, is you'll actually see that in the Chronicles of Narnia we really get um, uh, something which mirrors our own world on some of the deepest levels of engagement. In other words, something which will deepen our own knowledge of uh, who we are, where we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. All of those valuable lessons that we all need to know if we're not going to be lost in this life. We, we can learn those lessons in the Chronicles of Narnia. I have a question to ask. You said C.S. Lewis was an Anglican, Tolkien was a Catholic. You grew up basically in an Anglican tradition. Why didn't you become an Anglican instead of a Catholic? Well, the first thing, you know, I was I was only Anglican uh, nominally in the sense that, you know, polite people, uh, civilized people, people that like to think they were civilized at least, uh, you know, you got you didn't get married in the registry office, you got married in the church, you, you, you had your children christened or baptized. So basically my parents trying to do the good thing got married in the church and they had their children baptized uh, in the Anglican church. But we never uh, said any prayers. At home, we never went to church at any time, not even at Christmas and Easter. So I was effectively raised as an, as an agnostic, even though that uh, technically, having been baptized into the Anglican Church, I was an Anglican. In, in, you know, in practice, I was an agnostic. So why did you turn to Catholicism? Well, because, uh, as I said, the, the writers that I, I came to know, G.K. Chesterton and Hilaire Belloc, were Catholics. Not only were they Catholics, they engaged why the Catholic Church is right and why the Anglican Church and why Protestantism is wrong in their writings. So as I came to understand Christianity, I came to understand that the Catholic Christianity was the fullness of truth. And the other, if you like, other brands of Christianity were less true than the fullness of truth to be found in the church. So once I began to be interested in Christianity, there really was for me only one form of Christianity that was worth taking seriously, and that was Catholicism. Getting back to Catholicism, Another book you wrote, which I haven't seen yet, but it's it's about another person who's been a guest on our show a number of times, Tom Monahan, who's probably one of the truly remarkable personalities of, of our time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, I have a personal debt of gratitude to Tom Monaghan in the sense that when uh, I was a full-time writer living in England uh, and about to be married to, uh, to an American lady, uh, I thought that I would apply to Ave Maria uh, college as it then was, it's now Ave Maria University, um, to, to come over as a teaching position. And I was offered a position at Ave Maria College. And Ave Maria College was founded by Tom Monaghan. And of course, if he hadn't founded that college, uh, I may well not be living in the United States now. So, so t Tom Monaghan as a benefactor has impacted my life in a beneficial way, uh, for which I, I, I would be ungrateful if I, if I were not uh, grateful of it. But it's not, it's not just Ave Maria University. It's, it's the hospitals he's founded, St. Thomas More Law Center, Legatus. There's so many organizations that, that he started, and he's been more than generous with his money over the years. He, he, generous is not the right word. Yeah, I mean, basically, he's an inspiration. What if, if, if more people with the sort of money that Tom Monaghan had, for those of your listeners that don't know, of course, Tom made his uh, made his fortune by founding Domino's Pizza, which became the fastest-growing uh, restaurant chain in the world at one point. Um, but if more people that had his sort of money uh, had the sort of religious conversion experience he had, which actually was largely due to his reading of C.S. Lewis, so there's a connection with my latest book. Uh, I was reading Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which led to, a, if you like, a born-again moment in Tom Monaghan's life, and that led him to actually want to use his considerable fortune 
Cameroon to do uh, good things and that no one can deny that over the last 30 or so years that he's 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 done that. There's no question about that. And, you, you know, I really have never met a more remarkable person than, than Tom Monaghan. Getting back to C.S. Yeah. Lewis, can you tell the audience who C.S. Lewis was? Because, you know, Tolkien, I think everybody knows who he was, but C.S. Lewis, yes, he's famous, but he's not, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, basically, what we find with C.S. Lewis, if, 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 if this is something which is true of both Tolkien and Lewis, is that um, that they are being read now by far more people than, 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 than were reading them during their own lifetime. So Lewis died, actually, on the same day as uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated back in 1963. And he was convinced uh, that, you know, he would be forgotten within within a generation. And that he sort of, if you like, made a mark during his own time, but would, would be lost uh, in the sands of time. In actual fact, if his star continues to rise, more people are reading Lewis now than ever. Of course, some of the Chronicles of Narnia film uh, books are being made into movies. And so uh, Lewis, if you like, his star is very much in the ascendant and he's particularly influential amongst evangelical Christians uh, and what I find very if you like providential is that learning to, to learning to like the works or love the works of C.S. Lewis leads many evangelical Protestants into the Catholic Church so Lewis although he wasn't himself a Catholic has actually uh, influenced many many people into becoming Catholics What's your next project? I'm actually working a book now which uh, with, with a, the provisional title of what every Catholic should know about the great works of literature. And that's going to be looking at uh, the, the great works of Western civilization, Western literature from the time of uh, the ancient Greeks right through to the 20th century. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Joe Pierce, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. What's the next time you're going to be in New York? Uh, I, well, if all goes well, I'll be there in, in, in uh, December to, for the filming of my play, uh, Death Comes to the War Poets, which actually uh, was off-Broadway last year. Um, and we're hoping to make a film of it. And if that comes to fruition, as we hope, and maybe your your listeners can pray that it does, then I should be in, in New York City uh, in, in, sometime in the middle of December, shortly before Christmas. So we're going to look forward to that. It's going to happen. I hope so. I hope All right. So. Joe Pierce, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. My pleasure. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. 
No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. A few weeks ago, I was at a dinner held by Catholic Charities, and they had a great MC at the dinner. His name was Bobby Valentine, and that's our next guest. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm doing really a lot better than I was before this show because you said I was a great MC. I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. Listen, a few days later, a few days later, I was at a dinner, and the, the bishop was there, and uh, the director of Catholic Charities, Monsignor Lapinto, and they all said they were very thrilled with the job you did that night. Well, I am there to serve, and the job that they do day in and day out is incredible. So anytime you can be part of something that's incredible, it's a, it's a good thing for your life. Getting back, you know, some of our younger listeners may not remember. Uh, I think you got to be close to 60 years old to remember, but when you first came up, you were, you know, as Casey Stanger would say, a phenom. You, you were the hottest rookie prospect that that was in the major leagues so where did your career start yeah i was the number one draft of the dodgers out of uh stanford connecticut in 1968 it was a great dodger draft with guys like bill buckner and steve garvey tom pachorik sandy vance ron say and the list goes on so yeah i was a high c and uh, during the day i was going to class and at night i was in uniform with the L.A. Dodgers. So uh, things were going great for me at a young age. And eventually you got traded to the California Angels and, and something happened. What was that? Well, actually, what uh, happened with the Dodgers is that I got beamed. I was in the hospital for weeks. So they didn't know if I'd come back. I did. Then I wrecked my knee with a full-blown ACL repair, which wasn't done very often in those days. Then I played that way for a year and a half. I got traded to the Angels. I was fully uh, recovered, and, and like uh, the dumb person that I am, <laughs> I um, ran into a wall trying to catch a home run and broke my leg, and uh, the rest is kind of history. I played another seven years in the big leagues, retired when I was 29. I like to say I retired, but actually I was retired because no one wanted to uh, sign me, and um Luckily, became a third base coach when I was 31 and a manager when I was 35. Now, how'd you get to be a manager at 35? Nobody really does that. I mean, that that's extremely young. Yeah, well, you know, my career ended early. And uh, as I said, I was fortunate to become a third base coach at 32 years old with the Mets. I did that for three and a half years under uh, three different managers of um, that no one would know other than Davey Johnson, I guess. And... Um, then my roommate from when I was a player with the New York Mets became the general manager of the Texas Rangers. And uh, he wanted to change managers, and he did. And he called up his uh, roommate and said, hey, why don't we come out here 
why don't, why don't I go out there to Texas and we could do a, a fun thing together? And we did. So I was the youngest manager in the major leagues and had a great team and worked for George W. Bush and um, did everything except for won some championships. And uh, we probably would have done that if the wild card was in vogue or if uh, steroids were in my clubhouse a little more than they were in, in others. <laughs> Now, do you think most of the other managers knew their players were taking steroids? I mean, it's a stupid question, but deserves an answer. Yeah, I guess uh, it uh, deserves an answer. I, I think everybody knew what was going on. Uh, some knew more than others, and um, some understood what they knew a little more than others because it kind of came on quickly, and uh, there was no guidance through that era. Uh, so the answer to the question that had to be asked, I think, had to be answered as yes. What happened to Texas? Well, I had a grand old time in Texas. We were there for seven and a half years, and, um, you know, we were playing in an old double-A stadium. No one knew who the Texas Rangers were. They expected us to have white hats and horses and uh, patrol the streets. Instead, we were a baseball team. And, you know, before I, I got out of there, it was a major league franchise where everyone was buzzed with uh, the idea of baseball being played. And um, I got to move on to a, another job with the uh, New York Mets where I was the minor league manager. Then I got a job in Japan. Then I got a job in New York. And then I got a job in Japan. So, you know, all of that stuff uh, was a fun part of my life. After Texas, when did you manage in Japan? Well, yeah, I left Texas, and then I was a third-base coach and a van scout for the Cincinnati Reds for a year. I was then a AAA manager for the New York Mets. I then was the first foreign manager, the first non-Japanese manager to manage in Japan. Then I came back, and I was the third-base coach, I mean the uh, AAA manager again for the Mets. And then in 95, I was the manager of the New York Mets and stayed until 2002. Getting back to, to Japanese baseball, what was the difference between Major League Baseball and Japanese baseball when you were managing the first time? Well, not much difference other than the amount of practice that the Japanese players put in and the uh, regimented baseball society. Ours was a lot looser and frantic and fancy free um, you know they practice for hours on end and they reported for duty on time and they did what they thought they were supposed to do there wasn't a lot of freelancing out on the field but other than other than that it was pretty much the same game japan's over how do you get connected back with the mets again well actually they the first time i went to japan they um the mets asked me to come back and uh with a little false hope, I did. I left a very high-paying job in a situation that I was knee-deep deep committed to and um, came back and was kind of served um, served some sourdough bread and got a bad taste in my mouth. Instead of being the major league manager, I was the minor league manager, and I uh, did that for four months until I did become the major league manager. Now, who was the manager when you were down in, in, was it Norfolk at the time? Yeah, I was in Norfolk, Virginia at AAA, and Dallas Green was the manager of the New York Mets. He gets fired, as almost every manager does. You take over. What was yeah. it like managing the Mets back then? Well, I, I went through uh, a few different stages, you know, and I took over. It was abominable. Um, 
there weren't fans coming to the game. Uh, the players were all viewed as uh, disrespectful kind of renegades who didn't know how to play the game and didn't really care to. Um, you know, the media was uh, as hostile as uh, any media could be in in trying to, um, you know, explain what was really going on with the New York Mets baseball team. It was, it was a hard explanation. And what we did is change culture mentality and standings and um, before it was all over, got to a World Series. Now, how did you change the culture? I mean, that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, I wish I absolutely knew um, the step-by-step process that needed to be taken uh, because I did change it a bit in Texas, uh, but it wasn't under quite the the microscope. So often what you have, it starts with changing, you know, some of the characters who, you know, aren't necessarily the problem, but they're not part of the solution. And uh, then you try to get a oneness in mind and make sure that the the spoken word is being spoken in stereo and people are all on the same page so that you start to de- develop some cons- consistency of thought and action. And then you pray that uh, the good players stay healthy so that uh, the results are results that you could be happy and proud of. You finally make it to the World Series. New York Yankees. Looking back on it, are you disappointed you lost? Obviously you are. But what was it like to play in the World Series, to manage a team in the World Series? Well, of course, that was like no other World Series uh, in our lifetime. You know, it was uh, New York against New York. It was... um, you know, as big a hype as you could possibly get. And it was a spectacular experience. Every person on every corner, whether they uh, liked baseball prior to that or knew baseball prior to that, were wearing their their team's hat or jersey, were talking baseball. There was a buzz of um, excitement that uh, I think everyone wanted to keep and savor. So it was one of the great experiences of my lifetime. Yeah, we came up short in a very, very hard fought and a really well-played five-game series. Each game an epic uh, game unto itself. And, um, you know, when you get to look look back at good memories, it's always fun. Now, why did you leave the Mets? I know it's a stupid question again. Well, but... I got fired. I yes. was there for seven. I was there for seven, seven and a half years, and it it became time to make a change. I guess you know the the World Series uh, team was not replicated during two thousand and one um, season. You know, really disrupted by nine eleven, obviously, but. Um, we were sputtering at the time anyway, and uh, the next year we were we were less than ex- expected of, so it was time to make a change. That's the way the game goes. I know that, but I, I know you have your own viewpoint of it, but don't you think some teams fire managers just a little bit too quickly? Well, it's kind of uh, like my mom used to deal with my pitching changes. She thought that, <laughs> you know, I either always took him out too soon or left him in too long. And so that idea of what, when, or or why a manager should be uh, let go is all within the philosophy of, 
of the different organizations. You know, the Dodgers went about 50 years with two managers and, um, you know, they have a legacy to show for it. And, you know, Joe Torre and, and uh, Joe Girardi did about 25 between them and they have a legacy to show for it. So if I think if you have a good thing, you should try to keep it and, and understand that um, the ball bounces in funny ways. Right. Well, you're talking about it. Like if Walt Alston had a bad year, they, nobody would think about firing him and Tommy Lasorda the same way. Yeah, Tommy finished last. Walt finished last. Absolutely. Um, but there was a consistency of, of belief. There was a credo that uh, they were going to follow, and they did. You know, if you look you look in the tenure of uh, Brian Cashman, for for instance, never has there been a a coach fired during the season. Hmm. And I think that that's uh, a testament to what he expects his culture to to have. And one of the things that that he expects expects is consistency. And you know, consistency is part of attitude, and attitude flows down from the top. So after the, the, the match, you go back to Japan. Uh, yes. Coincidentally, like the week that I was let go by the Mets, I was um, having lunch in the same place as the owner of the team in Japan that I, I had left. And he had just read the news and came over to the table and asked if I consider coming back. And I did not hesitate and this time went back for um, – a six-year stint rather than a six-month stint. Now, obviously, you must have enjoyed managing in Japan. Yeah, Japanese baseball uh, and I kind of meshed really well. It's a it's a real organized uh, society. It's a culture that's uh, knee-deep in the baseball. They love their teams. They love their sport. Um, and uh, the food is really fresh and, and really delicious. So I... I, I like that culture a lot. You come back to the Red Sox. Any regrets? No, I, you always have a few regrets. I wish I had some better guys to work with. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, that was the 100th year of Fenway Park. It was, uh, you know, a, a, a fan, a fan's delight every weekend. We were home with bringing back, you know, super teams from the past. I got to see a lot of people that I played with and played against over over the years and managed with and managed against. So, you know, it was a great year's experience for me. It just was a lousy uh, ending where, you know, we had less uh, major league players than anybody in the major leagues, and we played like it. What are you doing today? I know Sacred Heart University. What What is Sacred Heart University? What do you do for them? Well, I'm the executive director of athletics. We have 32 Division One sports teams and 93 coaches, 835 uh, Division One student athletes, and um, I like run the ship and make sure that um, there's a consistency of thought and attitude, and uh, we're we're leading leagues in community service and and leading leagues in GPA and leading leagues on the field and the court and in the pool and on the uh, on the pit. So it's it's kind of been a fun five year run for me. I've enjoyed the hell out of it. Now, why should somebody go to Sacred Heart University? What's there? Sacred Heart's a mid-major in uh, 
Fairfield, Connecticut. We're the fastest growing Catholic university in New England. We uh, have a spirit to core of uh, students who want to make their community better while they're living in it and after they graduate from it. Uh, we have diversified course study. We've uh, just expanded into the GE corporate headquarters, expanded our footprint by 60 additional acres and 800,000 square feet of classroom space. We absorbed St. Vincent's uh, Women's College of Nursing into our nursing facility. We offer business engineering and many other degrees. So if if that's what someone's looking for in a four-year stint while uh, learning in and inside and outside a classroom how to be a better person, Sacred Heart's the place to be. Now, I understand from some of my buddies that live in Connecticut, you have a restaurant there? Well, you know, I started in the restaurant business in 1980, and this would be the basically my uh, going on my 40th year in the restaurant business. And I went from an old location to a new location. I have now that type of uh, restaurant in both Stanford and Windsor Locks, Connecticut, right outside the Hartford Airport, where we have 10,000 square feet in each location, over 400 televisions. We do the sports thing. We do the, do the food thing. And we also have the OTB license uh, for Connecticut. So the paramutual betting on the three sports of highlight horse racing and dog racing could be, um, can be done uh, within the confines of a spectacular uh, restaurant environment. Do you have any comment on the possibility that there will be gambling on Major League Baseball, legalized gambling? Well, there is. There has been for years in casinos. And now, um, obviously, there, it, it is in Delaware and in New Jersey. And I'm sure that um, most states within the union will have legalized gambling in many venues um, um, for for uh, many for many states. But do you, do you feel it's good or bad for the sport? Well, I think it's fine for the sport. It, it, it's been going on for many years uh, legally. It's been going on for even more than those years illegally. So nothing will change if, in fact, they're allowing states to collect taxes on dollars that are waged rather than uh, not collect taxes. A lot of people admire you because you've had your ups and downs, and you always keep coming back, and you always seem to have a positive attitude. And I think that's an inspiration for a lot of the working people out there. Well, thanks. I, you know, I believe if you if you don't feel fail, you can't succeed. And the true test of a man is not how he stands, but how he gets up when he's knocked down. Bobby Valentine, thank you for what you did for Catholic Charities a few weeks ago, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens. Thank you. You know, uh, good luck with you at Sacred Heart with your business. And okay. I hope, we hope to see you next year at, at Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens. Well, I'm all around, and I do a lot of the Catholic Charities in Connecticut, and we're trying to get that school system all fixed up, too, and I think before long we will. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, bro. Take care. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Hi, this is Patrick Wayne. I had the good fortune to be raised by a man of strength and courage, a man of true grit. My father, John Wayne, died of stomach cancer in 1979. And in his characteristic style, he ignored advice to keep his disease quiet and campaigned publicly to encourage preventive treatments. He inspired our family to carry on that mission. And today, the John Wayne Cancer Institute at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California, continues to take bold steps in cancer research. The John Wayne Cancer Institute has developed novel approaches to detect cancer, establishes therapies to boost the immune system to fight what my dad called the big C, and initiated less invasive surgeries. We've made significant advances in treating melanoma and breast cancer. All this has been made possible by my father's legacy of determination and a community of supporters who have helped expand upon that legacy. For more information, visit www.jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer. You know, again, this comes up every other show or sometimes, and I'm always a little confused about it. We have social media, which I really don't get too much involved in. Chris Cordani, where are we on social media, Facebook, Twitter, so forth? We're all over the place, Mike. As a matter of fact, uh, as far as Facebook's concerned, you can find Ask the Lawyer on Facebook. Just go to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. On Twitter, where, well, the Connors and Sullivan site, that's uh, the Twitter page there, CNS Attorneys. It's at CNS Attorneys. We have a YouTube channel where we put some of our uh, our favorite interviews. And uh, most recently, this was uh, this is fun. You can actually uh, check out a slideshow while you're listening to the, to the interview. We put up the uh, Felipe Alou interview, and that was quite a story, Mike, Felipe Alou. Also, your Q&A with Ron Chernow at the uh, Civil War Roundtable of New York City. You can hear uh, Mike talk to Steve Forbes, Dion DiMucci, Ron Hunt a few times. Even we go as far back as uh, when we were doing interviews with uh, Chris Tanto Peranto, early Burgess Owens, Patrick Wayne. A lot of great stuff on the page. It's Ask the Lawyer Connor's Corner Conversations on YouTube. Now, is Bobby Brown up there? Bobby Brown is there. Bobby Brown is there. That's one of the most remarkable people we spoke to. World War II veteran, Major League Baseball player, played in a few World Series, Korean War veteran, cardiologist, president of the American League, married 70 years practically to his wife till she passed away, and still alive and kicking, and today about 92 years old. Not only that, you can uh, interact with us. You can leave comments, um, send messages, but also you can email Mike at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. We can answer the questions here on the program or with Kevin McCulloch. Now, you certainly can ask emails at, uh, you know, ask Mike Connors and so forth. But you know what? A lot of times when, when you ask a question over 
the email, we're missing some information. So it's better if you call the office, either schedule an appointment or at least get the answer from somebody you can talk to that can ask questions back. Because a lot of times, and you know, it's great to have email questions and everything else and we like it, but a lot of times there's missing facts when we're in an email question. So you're more than welcome to do it, but you're better off calling the office uh, for those questions. Now, by the way, you know, like since we're talking about World War II veterans, Ed Bars, we get Ned Bars on, uh, Chris? Yes, we are, but that time is to be determined. He's on the road now. He's on the road. Okay. Well, those of you who don't know, he's 95 years of age, may have been, may be the only living person to attend the 1933 All-Star Game in person. He's a guy, he's probably one of the last people alive who saw Babe Ruth play, uh, let alone some of the other ball players like Lefty O'Doul, who we had, a you know, the author who wrote the book about Lefty O'Doul on. So, Ed Barr's song um... play... Unbelievable. It's kind of unbelievable. But Ed Bars is going to be in New York on September 12th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street at the Civil War Roundtable. If you want any information on that, give us a call at the office, 718-238-6500. Find out when Ed Bars is going to be in New York, which is September 12th. And speaking about the Civil War, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Professor Alan Guelzo on. And he is really a great speaker and a great writer. And he's got a book about uh, Reconstruction. And Beth, you might be interested in hearing what he has to say. Because as you know, he's one of the great scholars of the Civil War, professor at Gettysburg College. Right. I think David Kincaid is telling us it's time to go. Oh, no. Bye-bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all away. We are gathered. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all away. Ask the lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on Tuesday, August 21st at Vesuvio Restaurant, 7305 Third Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Then in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Wednesday, August 22nd at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S at 11 a.m. 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And finally at the Grand Prospect Hall, 263 Prospect Avenue, Park Slope, Brooklyn on Thursday, August 23rd at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 238 6500. That's Connors and Sullivan. 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.